All right. You don't need to hear what I say at the beginning anyway, right? Because I do say it pretty much most weeks. It changes a little bit here and there, of course. So we're currently in a study of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for a while, and we'll continue to be here for a while. And we're in a section where Jesus is talking about issues of the heart related to relational brokenness. Last week, we began to look at a section in Matthew 5 related to human desire, and we looked at three issues of the heart. We looked last week at human need, human desire, and human will. Needs, desire, and will are a part of what it means to be human and to have been created in the image and likeness of God. It's our needs, desire, and will that motivate and move us, giving our life direction, purpose, and meaning. And in that, they are good. They are useful. But when our needs, desires, and will become exaggerated, focusing uh, more on myself than on the community of humanity that we're a part of, they can lead us away from God's kind of life and towards what we're calling and what Jesus called the perishing life. Here's what he says in Matthew 5, 28, using a particular illustration from sexual relationships. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with desire for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here again, Jesus is referencing one of the Old Testament commandments, and rather than merely restating Old Testament law, you shall not commit adultery, nor telling us how bad that is and how bad we are for doing it, Jesus goes to describing and talking about issues of our heart that are elements of human brokenness that themselves create the space for such a thing as fornication and adultery. Jesus is not minimizing or making the Old Testament law irrelevant, but he is going beyond the law, dealing with the heart and human brokenness. And he's inviting us and those that were listening to become aware of our own brokenness and to begin to seek life and his empowering presence for seeing our hearts transformed into his heart. And please keep in mind what I've been saying in previous weeks, that in Jesus' teaching, he is not giving a new set of commandments rules or regulations. He's talking about and describing two kinds of life, the perishing life and God's kind of life, both of which are available to us now to be lived, to be experienced. This morning I want to spend our time talking about the problem of issues of the heart and unrestrained desire. But before we head there, let's pray. Blessed Father, Son, and Spirit.
we are filled with joy at your presence with us. At your life that you have made available to us. Holy Spirit, would you now help us to hear your voice, to hear your heart, that you would help us to grow in both awareness of you, of your life, of your empowering presence in our own life, to grow more aware of what's happening in our hearts and to find that transformation that only you can bring as we welcome and embrace your new life available through Jesus, through his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his glorification. Come, Holy Spirit, teach, lead, guide, comfort. In Jesus' name. Last week I described the idea of a progression of desire, somewhat sort of based on the three words that Jesus had used related to a progression of anger. And I couldn't find anything, but I did bump into various words that as I reflected on them reminded me of this idea of how uh, desire can grow into that which becomes inordinate. But before desire, there's need, which we talked about last week. And then from need, there comes desire. Uh, beyond desire, there's attraction, something that catches our eye or it, it, it looks good. And then we may wish for that. Then that can grow into yearning, craving, coveting, lust, greed, and inordinate desire. And I said last week that in its earlier stages, desire seems harmless. But considering the progression described by these words and from our own experience of life, from ourselves and others, clearly desire when unrestrained, when unhindered, leads to destructive outcomes and what we're calling and have been calling the perishing life. I used this last week. I'm using it again. Uh, I just felt it was helpful. Consider with me seemingly harmless words, I want. I want to buy you a present. That's nice. I want an In-N-Out hamburger. That sounds good. I want a new phone. That's cool. I want to go back to school and finish my degree. That sounds good. I want to go out with some co-workers tonight. Yeah, sounds okay. I want to hang out with you. Hmm. I want to go to bed with you. Hmm. Red lights. And what are the two common denominators in these statements? Again, I want, I want, I desire. To simply want, to simply desire, 
is, is not that significant. But what do we do with that? What is it a reflection of in our heart? I has to do with self-interest and want having to do with desire. Let's look at the statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 5. And we're still just dealing with the first statement. There'll be two more that we will look at, two other aspects of this that we'll look at next week. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with desire for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart or fornication. I want us to be aware of something that I believe is important. The word translated here by desire, you will find translated in your Bibles by the word lust. However, the word is simply the word desire, epithemeo. Here's what the theological dictionary in the New Testament says about the word. The word denotes desire, especially for food or sex. It may denote hunger, longing, desire for divine knowledge, or anything good. But it usually denotes evil desire, as indicated by the object of the desire. Translators have used the word lust wanting to connotate and make sure we understand that the desire being described here is bad or evil. And that word in English, lust, leads us to that understanding. But it's the same word as to desire to be a leader in the church that Paul speaks of later on. Same word without any additional description. Let's look again at Jesus' statement and allow me to point out some things. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with desire for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus did not say everyone who looks at a woman has already committed adultery, which is really good because uh, that would be problematic. Now, there were ancient uh, ancients back in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, few of them who felt like they just couldn't manage not uh, committing uh, the sin of adultery with their heart by being around women, so they just simply removed themselves from society. The trouble was it didn't work. They still had their own mind and their imagination. Je Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with desire for her, to merely notice others is not sin, but to look with desire unto or for something, Jesus says, is a reflection of the perishing life. It demonstrates a mindset of self-gratification and sexual abuse towards the one desired. And this is true whether the looking with desire is of a person we can physically see near us or whether it is a photograph or a digital image. The attitude of the mind and the heart are the same. If somehow the circumstance availed itself, secrecy could somehow be maintained, would we desire to follow through with the act? Now, 
to commit the act of fornication or adultery is worse. But that we allow ourselves the enjoyment of the imagination of the desire is a reflection of a heart that is acting out of our flesh. It's doing life on our own the way we want it. As against a heart that is desiring life the way God wants it, the way God describes is best, which is to love others, thinking more highly of others than we do ourselves, considering what is loving and best for them. And these things are not limited to simply men and their visually uh, looking at women. It can include all aspects of the genders. It has to do with a heart that is looking for self-gratification in contrast to care for another. Here's how the Apostle Paul says this idea in Galatians 5, 13, 14. We did read uh, this and a little more last week, but just this portion now. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul goes on in verses 16 and 17, and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. The law says, do not commit adultery. But I say, Jesus says, look upon others with eyes of love and care and concern for their good. A couple of weeks ago, I I read a quote from Dallas Willard that describes a powerful definition of love, of God's love, and the love that we are to extend to others. And I didn't even have it on the screen last time, but I do this time. Dallas said, Love is the genuine inner readiness and longing to secure the good of others. Love is the genuine inner readiness and longing to secure the good of others. And that can be applied to every relationship and every circumstance and situation. That relates to our children, our spouse, it relates to our co-workers, it relates to uh, other students, it relates to the stranger. And that is quite the opposite of looking at another with desire for our pleasure and good. Jesus is not putting forth a new or a higher law 
but rather is targeting the growth of self-awareness that can lead us to connection with God, dependence upon God, an invitation, oh God, so that we are transformed into His likeness and love and become the kind of people who look at others with the ready, inner readiness and longing to secure their good above our own. For numerous years, uh, confession time, I've got a couple of these today, uh, I've been aware that when I react uh, in a situation from my flesh, that thing of what I want, and I'm, I'm reacting on my own without God, I can feel it in my body. There's a tenseness in my body that happens. There's a feeling in my gut. There's a sense of adrenaline. And if I speak, I speak louder and faster with more force. Anybody familiar with that? I'm sure it's different in all of us. Well, a couple of weeks ago, so I said a couple of years, I've been aware of this. A couple of weeks ago, I became aware that when I noticed that happening, I have never thought to make the choice to not act from my flesh. But have gone on with the flow and acted on my own. I'm sure all of you, when you recognize it, are able to stop, but I just had missed that. Oh, look, I'm noticing it. There must be an opportunity or invitation for me to maybe not keep on rolling down the train track. This week, I not only noticed that it was happening, but I made a choice on a few occasions to stop, look, and listen. Anybody remember being taught those simple instructions before crossing a street as a child? Stop, look, and listen. Works really well when the flesh is kicking in. Let me tell you. Stop, look, notice, pay attention, and listen. Be present to those around you then so concerned and present about yourself, what you're feeling, what you want, and what you think. And on one occasion, it I was clear, I, I, had, I had leaned forward, I was about to say something countering what someone was saying, and I closed my mouth and I sat back and I re-engaged in listening to them with God. Rather, rather than engaging them in my flesh, on my own, without God. And my wife applauded me later. Wow, Randy, that's amazing. You caught yourself, you stopped. Yay, 61 and on my way finally. Friends, are you aware that you and I have a genuine inner readiness and longing to secure our own good rather than the good of others? That's what we're ready to do. 
a genuine inner readiness and longing to secure our own good rather than the good of others. Now, that's what needs transformation. And that's not going to change just by you thinking, I'm going to change. I want to give an illustration, another illustration of how I acted out of my flesh. Um, and I want to do this as a reflection of a, another passage in the Sermon on the Mount that's a little bit further ahead. But I want to tell the story and then read you the passage. So a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, I had a great job as the accountant and general manager of a small business. I had a great boss who was the owner of the business and a personal friend. It was a, an excellent position. The owner would uh, go away on vacation or things like that, and I ran the company for him. And I, I learned in those years to run it as he wished it to be. It really was a great experience, and it was very rewarding. After about four and a half years of, of great working relationship, one Monday I came into work and my boss had contracted with a business consultant to evaluate the company for things like productivity, effectiveness, and financial profitability. And as you can imagine, as the accountant and the general manager, I spent a lot of time providing reports and information for this consultant to review. And after a couple of weeks and them crunching numbers on their computer, um, the consultant, my boss, and I met. And the consultant presented their findings, which in part included that the owner could minimize costs by doing the general management himself and, and getting a much less expensive bookkeeper. And I am feeling the emotion of that. And at the time, at age 31, much less uh, mature than I am now, after arguing and defending, I was excused. And as I left the room, I slammed the door behind me and did not go back to that job. I was fired. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 5:39. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. At age 31, in a much less self and God-aware time in my life, when I was slapped by those words from that business consultant, with no defense, support, or care from my boss and friend, my flesh reacted. I was hurt, offended, angry, and with no ability to hear or see the potential truth of the consultant's feelings, findings. The only way we're going to be able to not react in kind to others, to someone who hurts us, is if we become the kind of person who's not hurt and offended by the actions of others. Now, I'm not in any way uh, suggesting that we should put up with abuse. We should not. But there's a lot between here and abuse. And the only way a person would be able to simply turn the other cheek 
after having been slapped is if they have become the kind of person who does not act out of their flesh. And that is a transformation into becoming like Jesus in all things. So I want to give us a closing invitation as I've been doing of late. And I want to invite you to take a few minutes to reflect on what's been shared this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, are there any areas of inordinate desire in my life where I need to grow in awareness and seek to act with God rather than on my own from my flesh. So we're just going to pause for a couple of minutes, and I'm just going to give you time to be with God, to reflect, to invite His participation, for you to grow in awareness. And after you've spent a couple of minutes with that, I'd like you to simply ask God a question that I ask most mornings in my devotional time. God, is there anything you want to say to me about this? And let him speak to you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It is a part of the presence and role of the Holy Spirit enabling us to hear the voice of Jesus and of the Father. So let's take a minute and consider this question for ourselves. Papa, Son, and Spirit, We need transformation. Before transformation, we need awareness. And we need a commitment for change. And I ask, even as you have so kindly and graciously alerted me to this aspect of a physiological feeling, a a sense of awareness when I am beginning to act in my flesh. Heart rate and adrenaline. And and would you help me to not only be aware, but to stop, look, and listen. To slow down the train. Jesus, we long to be like you. And it seems like an impossible task. How in the world could we ever become? But I see it happening. I see it happening here in many that are seeking for that and finding you near. Thank you for the life that's available to us Give us that heart that turns from the perishing life to your eternal life. 
fullness of life without measure that is known through and with you and your love. Father, thank you for this uh, chance to be together as a, as a community, as a family. Might you keep us safe as, as uh, we travel to um, the river. And for those who are simply traveling home, that you would be with them and that we would not leave this place as we left before, but would leave it with you inside and beside and leading us in renewed understanding of what it means to live this eternal kind of life. For your glory and the advancement of your kingdom, in Jesus' name, let it be so. So we're going to be leaving, heading out in just a few minutes, but prior to that, if you would like prayer, if you came in this morning with a sense of concern, awareness of something happening, going on, a circumstance, uh, please, please uh, take a moment, uh, take a few minutes. We'll have people up here that would be love, love to pray with you and talk with you. They'll be here to do that. Otherwise, um, we'll see you at the river. Make sure you fill out one of those forms. Uh, they'll be at the river as well. If you forget, uh, we'll be standing at the gate and saying, stop, look, and listen, um, or write or something. Anyway, blessings to you all. Love you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you again next week.